Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures. I'm Travis. Seems that I am rolling solo. Uh, no idea where Vic is. He has disappeared off the face of the earth. When that happens, I assume he's just passed out in the ditch somewhere. Can't ever figure him out. But tonight kicks off week two of Starkweather. Two weeks of Starkweather. Um, as we're talking about Charles Starkweather tonight, here in just a few minutes, we should have Jeff Simmons on the line. He is the author of Chasing Starkweather. Um, interesting book that I got to read. Uh, Jeff was nice enough to send that over to me, and I really enjoyed it. I really did. It was a, it was an easy read for the most part, uh, about 400 pages, um, and it was kind of just the facts as told from, like, a newspaper reporter from, you know, 1958, so uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. So, you know, it, it comes from that perspective, and, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out if you get the opportunity. Again, it's called Chasing Starkweather, um, but, you know, Last week, if you missed the show, and shame on you if you did, we talked a little bit more about Carol Ann Fugate than we did Charles Starkweather. Obviously, they're kind of tied hand in hand. Uh, you know, this whole story is a combination of the two of them. It's not just a one-person story. So we've kind of split it up into uh, two weeks of Starkweather, like I said, uh, because they are the Starkweather murders. Um, but... Again, Caroline Fugate was last week, and this one we're going to explore more into uh, Charles Starkweather's story himself. Now, uh, he was born November 24, 1938, uh, died by electrocution, if you weren't aware, June 25, 1959. Um, for those of you not aware, he was a spree killer. He murdered 11 people in Nebraska and Wyoming over a two-month murder spree, which, again, this murder spree, he'd killed somebody in December, and then it was just like back to back to back to back to back to back, to back uh, in January. Um, and again, we're just past the the um, sixty year mark on on those murders. Um, so you know, happy happy anniversary to Starkweather and his victims. Not to make light of it, but um, it was a crazy time in American history, especially for Lincoln, Nebraska. And that was something we got into last week with uh, Jeff MacArthur. Um, you know, just, just how big of a deal it was in Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't think you can go to Nebraska without the um, the idea that something has happened there, um, despite the fact that it's kind of known for corn and Nebraska football. Uh, this was a big event. I mean, it, it, it inspired, rather, um, several films like The Sadist from 1963, uh, Badlands from 1973, California with a K from 1993, Natural Born Killers from 1994. That, uh, we talked about that extensively last week, too. And, of course, The Frighteners from 1996, which is, uh, again, as I said last week, was the first time that I had heard of uh, Charles Starkweather because the uh, the killer in the movie, Johnny Bartlett, 
uh, interesting tie-in there to the, the appearance of uh, Caroline Fugate. Uh, Bartlett was their last name. But anyway, uh, he, he mentions that uh, Charlie had a score of 11, and, you know, he got a score of 12. So, you know, the Frighteners had a good tie-in. But here in just a second, Jeff's logging in. We'll have him on the line in just a minute. And there he is. What's up, Jeff? Hey, how's it going out there? Doing well. You know, you're helping us kick off the second week of uh, two weeks of stark weather here. Last week was more of a focus on Carol Ann Fugate. Uh, talking yeah, about I, I, listened, I listened to that one. That was uh, very interesting. The lawyer who was there was uh, extremely knowledgeable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and definitely we wanted to get uh, focus a little bit more on, on Charlie, obviously, this week. And um, I, I introed it before you got on the line about how uh, – you were kind enough to send me a copy of Chasing Starkweather, and I really enjoyed it. About 400 pages, pretty easy to read, uh, and just enjoyable start to finish. Um, I'll tell you what, before we get into the book itself, talk a little bit about Charles Starkweather and the first time you had heard of uh, uh, of Charlie. Well, <laughs> uh, I, don't watch, I, I don't watch TV anymore, but I used to, and I was watching some show like a, um, reality sort of show about crimes and serial killers and so forth. And I happened to flip it on that night, and I, I saw this guy, Charlie Stark, went on there. And I thought, wow, you know, I've never even heard of that guy. And uh, I was just shocked, and it just kind of stuck with me. The story kind of stuck with me, uh, you know, 20 years or so. And then I finally decided to write about it. It was one of those things that just kind of sticks with your consciousness. I mean, again, we're talking, you know, 60 years ago now, but it seems to be uh, a part of American history as much as anything else that's, you know, that's happened. I mean, again, this is one of those things where um, most people know who Charles Starkweather is, just, and we're talking 60 years later. And even if you're not big into, you know, like serial killer culture, it, it's just amazing how um, rooted in American history this story really is, isn't it? Yeah, um, and, and and to be honest with you, you see that. You can literally have examples of that um, presence in our current uh, culture. Uh, Badlands by Bruce Springsteen is about the Starkweather killings. Uh, Natural Born Killers was based on the Starkweather killings. Uh, the... Um, there was a movie called Badlands, I think it was, or Wastelands. But in numerous books and films and things have been based on dark weather killings. Now, this is something we kind of covered last week. Um, I, I feel like, you know, whether whatever your opinion is of Caroline Fugate, I feel like uh, a lot of people kind of have this this idea of what happened in their mind, and, you know, they're not willing to listen to the whole story. They just want to assume that this was, you know, a modern Bonnie and Clyde, and and maybe it was. We don't know for sure, but it's just interesting that this is one of those stories where people think they know the story. Um, Tell me me the story from your perspective, what you know, what you feel like you know, because I feel like the book is is kind of the idea of facts there. Step back here for a second. Uh, Comparing Bonnie and Clyde to Charles and uh, Carol Ann is uh, is really out of whack because uh, not 
on your behalf, but people do compare them. Um, Bonnie and Clyde stole stuff. They took stuff that they wanted. Charles and Carol Ann just killed people. And I think that's a major difference. Um, yeah. What kind of person was Charlie? Um, Charlie wasn't the brightest uh, brightest individual, had a lot of trouble in school. Um, he had to wear patched clothes from uh, the uh, Salvation Army uh, because his parents couldn't afford to buy him clothes. Um, he was uh, picked on and brutalized. Um he had a speech impediment. Uh, again, he, he just wasn't the brightest guy. And the funny thing is, I, I've never actually heard of anybody getting fit in gym class. But Charles worked his way up in fitness until he became the boy. And suddenly things changed. And uh, not too long after that, obviously, uh, well, Charlie dropped out of school, but uh, within a couple of years, the killing uh, took place. Um, Again, I'll say that I I think that that, uh, Charlie was abused and bullied, and I I can't really stress it enough how, how much of an impact that has on someone. Uh, I wouldn't use that as an excuse. I would use it maybe as an explanation, but um, you know, you just you can only take so much. And he was, uh, as what I can tell, he uh, he was uh, shunned by uh, Carol Ann's parents, obviously, and. As far as her breaking up with him goes, I I really don't know. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I tell you what, one one of the things I want to get into is, you know, with your book, uh, I, I would assume a lot of research went into. It. Can you talk about some of the research that you did in order to uh, put together a book like this? Uh, again, we're talking about chasing Starkweather. Well, um, first of all, you don't use Wikipedia. Um, you uh, you just absorb yourself in everything you can find. I mean, um, when you write something of any length at all, actually, if you write anything at all, you should do your research first. Research is the most important thing you can do. Even if you're writing a fiction novel, you should research the stuff that you're writing about, the concepts, the ideas. Um, but when you're like my my first novel in World War One, I, I had to learn so much. And then with Starkweather, it was a little easier because I could ask my parents, well, you know, what was this like, or what kind of music did you listen to, and things like that. And um, I um, I uh, read. Uh, uh, load of books on it and 
did all the research I could get my hands on. I looked at old newspaper clippings and so forth to get what the uh, media perspective was at the time. Um, funny, I, I got a uh, I got an email the other day from somebody who knew two of Starkweather's victims, and I wish she had called me first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's one of those things that's invaluable. You know, I've talked to somebody who wrote books about Ted Bundy, and he, he talks about every time he writes a book about Ted Bundy, you know, a new victim, or not a new victim, a, a new friend of a victim or a family member, you know, comes forward, and it's like, well, it looks like I'm going to have to write about him again. And it's just one of those things that's never ending for him. But with this book, you know, you know, we're 60 years in the past, and so uh, – I don't know how much new information we can dig up, but one of the things that you really uh, did talk about there was the media perspective on the whole thing. That's important with your book because basically this is told through the media or from uh, a newspaper reporter's perspective. Talk a little bit about uh, the main character of the book. and Now, it's not Starkweather, but it's Oral Hackworth. Right. Oral Hackworth is, um, is a curious fellow. He's a uh, a Korean War veteran, uh, a little older than his peers in the newsroom. Uh, he wears the same clothes every day. Not the same clothes, but different clothes that are exactly the same. <laughs> he has this weird thing about not having to spend too much time looking over his clothes to figure out what he's going to wear. He's, he's sort of, he's, he's habitual. And um, he, uh, he he gets to, uh, he gets to Lincoln, Nebraska. He drove from, uh, I believe, yeah. And uh, drove across country and um, stops at Omaha and, uh, that's about the end of the line if you've ever been to Nebraska. It's uh, Lincoln and Omaha on one side and then nothing. Uh, but uh, he uh, he's kind of a quirky kind of fella, and uh, he ends up living in one of those old TP motels that you used to see on Route 66 or whatever. Um, and he just kind of stays there. He never really moves out. Um, and... He uh, drives around in an old Chevy and makes friends with everyone and pursues the case, pursues the cases that unfold, uh, oftentimes arriving at the same time as the squad and everybody. Gets to see it pretty up close. Yeah, and because of that Korea experience, he he you know is kind of hardened to to a lot of it, despite the fact that uh, you know it's pretty gruesome crimes. Obviously, it does bother him on some level, but you know uh, that's another thing that I wanted to touch on the Korean War. You know, you get pretty vivid in, into uh, his stories of the Korean War. I got to assume that you did you know some research on that as well, because it was like I said, it was pretty detailed. Well, it's kind of funny you should mention that. I was. Um... I had been writing a book on Korea, mm-hmm. and I was bored with it, so I dropped it. And uh, 
wrote Starkweather instead. And so I've still got part of this book on Korea <laughs> sitting in my desk. But yeah, I, I, I've actually studied the Korean War quite a bit because of these highly important conflict is totally overlooked. It is, because everybody talks about the world wars, obviously, and then they talk about Vietnam. But I'm telling you, if you ask a person on the street who's not a veteran or, or older, they don't remember the Korean War. And, again, it's such an important, I don't want to say backdrop, but a, a piece of information on this whole story, I mean, because it kind of shaped uh, your main character and who he became. Um, another thing that I wanted to get into also is, you know, the setting. Obviously, we're in Lincoln, Nebraska, 1958. Um, interesting time for our country, obviously. The 50s were kind of a quote-unquote innocent time, and then you've got the small-town feel also. Um, talk a little bit about the panic that ensued, um, for best as you can surmise, again, from what happened there. You, you tell it really well how everybody in town was just terrified. Well, I think I think what you got to look at is this is the end of the innocence. Mm-hmm. And this is where it all comes to an end. Um, ammunition sales uh, were were up high. Uh, uh, stores were just running. This is when you could buy ammo at the gas station. You know? And everybody mm-hmm. was selling out of ammo. People were nailing their doors uh, and door, nailing their windows shut. Uh, people started locking their doors for the first time in uh, Bennett, uh, which was the area that Starkweather lived in, and all across Lincoln. Uh, they, uh, the kids uh, weren't allowed to go outside at lunch because they were afraid of getting shot, with Star- shot by Starkweather. Uh, there was definitely a state of panic in Lincoln. Uh, when all this was going on, no question about it. Yeah, and that's and that's one of those things that uh, it, it's when you read the book. That's one of those things that you can automatically pick up on. And, and the, the interesting thing about the book too is that this is an establishment of characters, um, you know, surrounded by real life events, and um, so that's kind of what keeps you entangled. In you, you weave a, an interesting tale, you know, um, with You've got a romance going on in there. You've got all those things going on. How hard was it to do, you know, a book on true crime, but also, you know, tell a, a, a story of someone as well? You know what I mean? You've got something yeah. around there. Yeah. Um, I thought you, they were going to ask me if I had, uh, I had a, a secret barber on the side. <laughs> uh, no, I, I well, asked about that during an interview the other day. Uh, <clears throat> no, you know, it's uh, it's life. It's just the way life is. Life isn't one thing at a time. Uh, it's one day at a time, but it's, a, it's not one thing at a time. And, you know, well, you know, you, you're in town, you're a sharp dresser, you're a professional, you're going to have a girlfriend in Lincoln. You know, and the... Uh, you know, there's a lot of whiskey drinking in there. Um, to me, that's reality. Um, I, I quit drinking 13 years ago, and uh, but that's the way it was when I was a reporter. 
And uh, that in itself helped me weave the story together. Because uh, uh, seven or eight years I spent doing uh, news journalism, um, and especially covering trials, uh, they pick things apart and you put them back together again in a final argument. And that kind of tells you how to, how, how to, how to lead up a story. It really does. And um, I learned a lot from, you know, murder trials and fraud trials and things like that. You know, and that's an interesting point you bring up. A lot of the things that you just mentioned are are interesting to me, but one of the things that I actually identified with the main character was, and I I think I mentioned this last week, I'm not totally sure, but I I know I've mentioned it to my wife, the character, and, and I think a lot of us feel this way in the real world, you know, he does this amazing job of reporting the Starkweather case. Just, I mean, absolutely awesome. I mean, the type of things that are going to get him promoted to other places and things like that, but it's always, you know, what are you doing for me tomorrow? It's never, thanks for what you did today. It's always, okay, well, that's cool that you did that today. Tomorrow, what you got for me? And I thought that was interesting that you did that because, I mean, there are so many of us that have that same, I don't know, feeling about our jobs that it just really shone through on this book for, for the main character, obviously. <laughs>
the wind was blowing so hard off the lake that it had blown the train off the tracks. And it dumped a whole pile of brand new Lincolns all over the field. Mm. And uh, that's the kind of thing you don't really want to do at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I would imagine not. You know, it's funny you talk about that in the book, and then also you one of the things that you captured, and obviously in, in Ohio, especially in the Cedar Point area, Cleveland, all this, the bitter cold of Nebraska in January of 1958, and you know a little bit of December, that that was something that I, I felt you painted an awesome picture of, and it made me not want to go to Nebraska <laughs> in the winter. That's <laughs> But, you know, it, it was just one of those things where you could tell you had experience with it. Talk a little bit about that, because, I mean, it, it showed through your words and, and uh, obviously in the book. Well, I, I'll tell you, um, first of all, I grew up in, in, in West Virginia, and uh, it, it got pretty cold there, and we got a lot of snow. And then I took my job in Sandusky. I lived four blocks off the lake. Seriously, four blocks. Mm. Uh, and uh, I could walk to work, which I did often. Uh, and uh, the winters, which somebody warned me about that, they said the winters up there are just brutal. And uh, I didn't really believe it until we had about two weeks where it never got above 20 below. And um, it snowed and snowed and snowed and snowed, and they couldn't get the ice off the streets for weeks. Um, it would just feel like it was going to burn your face off. The wind was just so horrible. Um, really had to dress for it. And that's the one thing I don't miss about Sandusky. Sandusky's a lovely town. I love it up there. I go back, but that cold weather is just awful. Yeah, it just sounds miserable. <laughs> Screw negative twenty. I don't think I can handle that. You know, it's like going to Minnesota. You know, whenever I watch the Super Bowl over the weekend and they had <laughs> people outside, I know it was inside, but just to show some of the people outside, you know, trying to get in and things like that, I was like, this looks horrific. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's super um, crazy. Talk a little bit about, um, see, for me, okay, and this is just for me, obviously I, I'm not you, and we may see this different ways, but I, I would feel like it would be kind of a daunting task to talk about somebody like Charles Starkweather. Not so much him, because, again, I said this last week, I don't find him to be that interesting. I find the story to be interesting. But to to talk about something that's been talked about so many different times, and to do it in a different way, um, how did you kind of come up with a, a way to tell the story that wasn't the same as what's been done before? Because, again, you talked about it. You read so much on it. Well, I, <clears throat> I, I drew from what I read, and I drew from what I knew. And I know I know journalism, and I, and I, I like history. And uh, I just thought it would be interesting to have a, a – kind of a new kid on the block covering a story that uh, is running in papers in all 50 states. You know, it's, it's it just seems like a good natural fit for me. 
I've never had a story that scored that big. Uh, but um, everybody wanted uh, Hack's work. And uh, it's uh, it's hard to describe the feeling, you know, just just get your name in print is <laughs> is really cool. Um, yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, I, I would agree. Uh, and you know, I, yeah, I, getting it, getting back to what you were saying, I I I lost track of what what I was talking about there. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, I, I was just saying, you know. Uh, to, to be able to tell this story in a different way than than has, it's been told before, I, I just oh, thought. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Just just basically my reporter's background. Um, I read books on it and um, and studied the different ways that they did it and came up with just a different way and it was just it just happened to be the most natural way I could go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you know, let's go to your reporter background a little bit. If you uh, had the opportunity, obviously we're talking almost 60 years since his death, but if you could sit in a room with Charles Starkweather and ask him some questions, what types of things would you ask him? Oh, God. Um, well, I, I mean, there's there's certain things about the case you obviously I'd like to clear out, but you know, Charles, he doesn't uh he doesn't always tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you notice that? I noticed a little that. bit. A little bit. He seemed to be a yeah. pathological liar. That's why, you know, everything he said I was just like, eh, maybe that's true, maybe it's not, who knows. Well, you know, the first the first thing he would do, um if I asked him, uh, okay, why did you cut, why did you kill Robert Colbert in the Crest gas station on the outskirts of Lincoln? And he would say it was self defense. Believe it or not, he said mm-hmm. the guy pulled a, he guy pulled a gun on him, so he took it from him and then shot him with it, and that was self defense. Charlie was convinced that. Everything bad that happened to him was somebody else's fault, and the way he was treated so uh abused because he was poor, he hated the world he He literally said the, the more I look at people, the more I hate them he, you know if, if he had had an army uh he could have conquered the world. He was that nasty. It's so interesting because we went from Starkweather to Manson, you know, a decade later, and some of the things that they say seem <laughs> so similar. You know what I mean? And they were both, I, I, I hate to say Napoleonic complex, but they were both short guys. You know what I mean? Both named Charlie. There's just so many similarities that, you know, you, you uh, rattling off those quotes and, and the feelings that Charles Starkweather had just, I don't know, it brought me into the Manson state of mind because uh, some of that seems so familiar, you know? Well, I, you know, Manson's our, our gener- or my generation, anyway. I don't know about your generation. <laughs> uh, I don't assume anything. 
Um, well, I think we but, all kind of grew up with Manson one way or another, even if we weren't around, you know, during the murders. I was not, but I, I knew who Manson was since I was a little kid. So I think everybody did. I'll tell you what fascinates me most about Manson, and and Starkweather also, is the fact that their murders and their murder sprees compared to guys like Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, Ted Bundy. Uh, Eileen Warmos, uh, Richard Speck. You know, you compare those crimes of Starkweather and Manson, the body count just doesn't add up. You know, it's like there's a whole new class of serial killer now than there used to be. And because of these tremendous, tremendous murder sprees and mass shootings and uh, serial killers and just you know BTK and just all this wild stuff. People have forgotten about Starkweather uh, entirely <laughs> in a lot of cases, and um, and people are forgetting who Manson is now. Yeah, I think the the uh, the thing that Manson had going for him was obviously he wasn't executed and he was around all this time. But, you know, most of the time I don't think people even knew exactly what Manson did or what he did do or, you know, the whole story. And I kind of feel that way about Starkweather too. You know, the people who know who Starkweather is, maybe they don't know the whole story. But, you know, th- they say, and, and I, I'm, this isn't my quote, but I think they said that uh, Starkweather was kind of the first rock and roll murderer, you know, the one that, that – I don't know, the American public kind of took an interest in. And, and that may be true because if you look at the people before him, I know there were murderers. There were people that murdered. But, you know, you had like Ed Gein, you had H.H. H. Holmes. But they weren't widely reported, I feel like, the way Starkweather was. I mean, did he kind of kick off the idea of, I don't want to say serial killer culture, but it, it's kind of the idea I'm going for. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I think you're probably real close to what that summation of that situation. Um, there weren't serial killers like that before Starkweather. Um, you know, you can go back to stories in Europe of people like that. But here in America, we just, <laughs> we were, I think we were a little more civilized until this happened. And, um, Every time somebody uh, does something uh, horrible like this, there's always some son of a gun comes along and does it worse. And, I mean, we have, uh, I forget, like a dozen school shootings so far this year. Um, It's crazy. So people like uh, Starkweather... And Manson over time will be forgotten. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's always some tragedy to replace the other one, unfortunately. And uh, Starkweather, he, he um, I don't know, he was one of the first ones that I can think of also that uh, kind of enjoyed that notoriety. That was one of the things that uh, Natural Born Killers, I felt like, got right. Obviously, it's a, a very loose interpretation of the story, but, you know, the idea that, that this killer or these killers are enjoying the fame that comes with something like this, obviously in different eras, but in 1958, he loved being the James Dean 
that that he was looking for. Talk a little bit about that. Starkweather's obsession with James Dean. You talk about it in the book, but let's talk about it here. Uh, well, uh, <clears throat> he uh, he would uh, he he wanted to be something he was not. Um, Starkweather stood about five five, had bright red hair, uh, kind of slight. Uh, definitely not Hollywood material. And he would go to see these James Dean films over and over again. And more so than not, I think he was uh, impressed with uh, uh, cowboy movies. He called them shooting movies. He liked to go see the shooting movies. But, yeah, he he was uh, a James Dean wannabe. He even cut his hair like James Dean. He wore a leather jacket like James Dean. He wore white boots like James Dean. He was uh, just totally into that, yeah. Yeah, into that. He had the cigarette hanging out of his mouth. That's always a a constant scene if you look at some of the photos where he's being led around by police and that was just his I've hardly ever seen a I've hardly ever seen a photograph of a cigarette hanging out of his lip, or never seen a photograph without a cigarette hanging out of his lip. Yeah, he, just, he was a he was like I said I I don't know that I find him so interesting with the story itself, but the one thing I did want to get into, um, uh, now the book paints it one way, and I wanted to see your opinion on this. It, it, it talks about in the book that the defense attorneys. Uh, got him to plead guilty by uh, reason of insanity, and I had always heard that he was firmly against that, him and his family, because it was like better death than dishonor. Am I mistaken on that, or was that something that you well, kind I, of... I know the, the um, I think the attorney that was on earlier talked about that. Huh. Um, it was my understanding that he he just he refused to do it. Um, you never know whether Starkworth's parents told him to do one thing or another. It's you know you never know. Uh, I heard that first of all, kind of a crazy thing was um, Starkweather was arrested in Wyoming, and then he was extradited to Nebraska. Well, if he stood trial in Wyoming, he would have got life in prison. But Nebraska used the death penalty. So his attorney, by doing that, sent him to the electric chair. Yeah, he uh, he didn't win that battle. Had they not extradited him, he he would have been around for hell. He might still be here, but you know, it's, yeah. it's crazy <laughs> to think about. Do you th- okay, not not from the legal definition, because the legal definition is complicated, and we don't have to try to speculate on that. But in general, do you think he was insane? I think he was insane. Uh, I think, uh, I think uh, Starkweather was definitely a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll define that a little bit. A psychopath is someone who takes what they want and smashes what they don't want. Just because they want to do it, not because of how it will affect anybody else, and that's what he was. He was a psychopath. If 
you want to call that equates that with crazy, then I'd say yes. Yeah, it's a it's one of those things that I mean I could sit there and say that a lot of things these guys did Dom or a bunch of them how can they not be insane? But of course legal definition's a little bit different, so that's why I didn't even bother to get into that to that. No, side of that's it. that's you know. Hey, look at it this way. The guy's got to be crazy to go out and date a 14-year-old girl and kill 11 people. There's something wrong with the guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that I was wondering, too. What set him off? Do you think it was the fact that her parents told him, you know, were having issues with him dating her? Was it just, you know, he was fed up with it? He's a garbage man. He's sick of, you know people having to pick up rich people's trash was it just everything well I'll tell you um, what I what I read in one book was that um, Carol's mother uh, Velda Bartlett um, accused uh, Charlie of uh, getting her pregnant yeah, that was a strongly circulated thing, too, that he had gotten her pregnant. Of course, they had never, you know, that wasn't so, but, I mean, I could definitely see that how that would be the start of a conflict and then it turning, obviously, more violent from there. Well, yeah, that it's, uh, that's that's when when, it, when things really start going bad. Um, you know, he killed the guy at the gas station six weeks before or so, and then suddenly he takes the spree killing. Something happened to him. Something snapped. I don't know whether he enjoyed killing that man at the gas station so much that he decided to go out and do more of it. I don't know. Uh, And there's no way we'll ever know because even if Charlie wrote a a complete confession, you know it wouldn't be half true. Like talking to Ted Bundy, you can't trust anything he says because it comes out of his lips. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. Yeah. And, you know, the the, the thing that uh, I always wonder about, and I, I mean, obviously, like you said, you, you can't prove it, is that, you know, it, I mean, it, it, it's just one of those things like why? why what, what pushed him to that point? Why? Where, where, how did you get there? And we talked about Bonnie and Clyde earlier, and they did kill for gain. I mean, they would kill people, but not just to kill people. Uh, They would kill people in the process of trying to get wealth. Uh, You know, there would be a purpose for what they were doing. I just can't make heads or tails of half the things that Starkweather did, especially when it comes to, you know, the old man. Maybe it was self-defense. Maybe the guy did have a gun when he got there, but why do you kill a two-year-old? Because you're crazy, just like you said. I mean, he just had no regard for human life, obviously. Well, I understand that. That's that when you start to say that, that was the case that came to mind was the August Meyer case. He was eighty eight years old and he was a friend of Charlie and his father. They they knew each other. And they used to hunt rabbits on his land. And uh so Charlie went out there and that road was muddy. He knew that. He got out there and he said the old man pulled the gun on the porch and he shot him first, but there was never a gun found, and it was just 
they searched around for a mile to look for it and couldn't find it. Um, but then, you know, why did he go out there and kill a family friend? Yeah, it was really odd. The only, like I said, the only the only story that I had heard that makes it all add up, or even slightly add up. Obviously, you got to fill in the holes there, which is impossible to do. But uh, the only story that I had heard is that he was armed because you know he had already heard that Charlie was on the loose and had killed Carol's family. But I'm not sure how quick that got back to August Meyer. It was just a weird story. And, and again, Charlie was always trying to make himself look better in the whole thing. It was weird. He, he never just said I, I killed him because I felt like it. You know, there was always a reason. Hmm. Yeah, he seemed to he seemed to be convinced that he was always the one that was the victim. He always saw himself as a victim. All these rich people and their money, and they don't give any to me. And what should I do for them? And why should I care about these people I killed? They never did anything for me. Yeah, he was he was a, a very selfish little man. One of the things that you talked about in your book is, you know, to sit down with him, how creepy his eyes were. Where did you get that? Where did you hear how creepy he was to, to sit there and talk to? I, I felt like that didn't just come out of thin air. You had actually gotten that from someone previously. <clears throat> well, yeah. Uh, I... I it's kind of kind of odd. Um, I, I've covered murder trials, and um, one of the things that you can tell when somebody comes into a courtroom is you can look at their eyes, and it, it, the guilty ones have this funny look in their eyes. And I had always been aware of that. And somebody told me about Starkweather. This he had this picture. He's like, look at this, and. Um, it just gave me chills. I mean, the guy, there was, those eyes were so deep and uh, sharp. Um, it's just spooky. It's just, I, I, I've come across people that, and, and like I said, in murder trials or whatever, I just, it, they're hard to look at. In a lot of ways, he seemed like a chameleon. Um, like, I would see different pictures of him, and I swore it wasn't the same person. I mean, except for the eyes. That was the tell. But sometimes when I would look at pictures of Starkweather, they didn't all look alike. It was it was kind of odd, you know. And we're only talking over a, a span of, what, 17 months most of these pictures were taken. So um, for that, for it to be that way, I, I, I don't know if that was a mental state that kind of changed his appearance at different times. I mean, don't get me wrong, most of the time you could tell it was him, but there were times, there were certain times when I would look at pictures of him and I'd say, you know, if you had lined that up with the other pictures, I wouldn't realize that was Starkweather. And he was always trying to look the same, so that's what's odd to me. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of the pictures that that float around are are, um, pictures of him in prison and pictures of him on trial. And on trial, obviously, they tried. They, they gave him a haircut and uh, got him to wear his glasses and gave him a new wool suit and you know all this other stuff and dressed him up, um, just like defense attorneys do today. Mm-hmm. And um, but you're right. He he was kind of a. a Boris Kar- Karloff 
thousand faces. He was he, he definitely changed appearances somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I guess when you're on the run, you got to kind of learn how to do that. Um, so there are definitely two other things I wanted to talk about. The first thing was, uh, it, and I don't know how to present it, but your book definitely goes into it whenever he's being interviewed. The Starkweather, he didn't seem like the sharpest blade in the drawer. Talk, talk a little bit about that. The Starkweather, he just didn't seem like the smartest guy around. Um, and, you know, granted, it's not like we're doing a, a ton of profiles on the guy, you know, today. But, you know, I figure on the uh, the IQ end of serial killers or, or killers like this, he's probably on the low end, correct? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. People like, uh, you know, your Ted Bundy's and your Timothy McVeigh's and your uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's are highly intelligent individuals. Very highly intelligent, 150 or above. Um, that's why they get away with it for so long. Um, you um, you have to be smart to to pull off crime after crime after crime. I mean, you look like Ted Bundy and he killed 34 people without getting caught. You know, I mean, you got to be slick to do that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Starkweather, he wasn't even covering up most of his crimes. I mean, yeah, that's, just... that's that's what I was going to point out. Is Starkweather wasn't slick. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he made a mess of things. Always well, that's what was so interesting to me when I talked to uh, Jeff MacArthur last week is that, you know, Carol claimed she didn't know her parents were dead. But it's hard to believe a dummy like Starkweather would have cleaned up their house so well for her to not notice. You know, that's why there's just like, okay, I could buy a lot of the parts about the Caroline Fugate, um, you know, not being an accessory to it all. But there's just certain things like that that stand out to me. And I'm like, your your testimony sucks, though. So that's, I, I don't know, it, it goes with the belief that Starkweather had to be smarter than what we're led to believe. And I'm not sure that I believe that he was smart enough to, you know, make someone else believe that their family is de- or is not dead, that they're being held, or whatever the hell the story is, you know? Well, well here's what I understand. Um, they found uh, Velda Bartlett, the mother, wrapped in carpet and stuffed in the, in the two-holer out back. And then they found the box with the baby in it out there with her. Mm-hmm. Now, if she was stuck in the outhouse for two days, where did they go to the bathroom? That's what I wondered, too. Now, I I did hear that they may have had indoor plumbing also, which would be strange to me because why do you have an outhouse? So I I don't know. I I see. And I'll be honest, I haven't read the case files. I've read snippets, but I have not read the full case files. So I'd have to see that. And to be honest with you, I don't think they went as deep into the investigation as they thought they needed to, because I think they thought it was a slam dunk as far as that goes. But it, it does, you know, raise interesting questions that I've always been curious about, and I don't think we'll ever have answers to. Um, another thing that the book gets into, and and maybe it's a brief thing, but it is powerful when when you when you talk about it in the book is the death penalty, and it was definitely in regard to 14 year old Caroline Fugate, but. To even talk about it with Starkweather, a guy who had committed such heinous crimes, 
Talk a little bit about your own personal feelings. And, and again, I know I'm opening a can of worms here, but talk a little bit about the death penalty and, and you know, kind of putting your feelings to paper there. Well, um, <clears throat> I'll just start out by saying I'm against it. I'm against the death penalty altogether. Um, you, uh, you take a man's life, well, for taking a man's life. Uh, we kill people to show each other that killing people is wrong. It's it's a conundrum. It makes no sense. Um, personally, I, I think if you wanted to wanted to really punish somebody, you'd sentence them to hard labor. But killing them, I mean, what difference does that make? And <clears throat> I have extremely strong feelings about that, and. The part about uh, uh, Charles and his execution was was actually very difficult to write about. And um, now, on the other hand, Timothy, Timothy McVeigh was given the death penalty. Ted Bundy was given the death penalty. Now, how can you argue against giving them the death penalty? I'm sort of caught in a well, yeah, pretty much it's wrong, but, you know, you get these crazies once in a while, and they need to be put to death. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, but yeah, I think there's blatant cases. It. Yeah, there's blatant cases where it's just like, uh, what the hell else are we going to do with them? I don't want to see them sit in a cell. I get the research aspect of it, too, but, I mean, I, I feel like these guys are such liars that maybe it's not even beneficial on that end, either. So, so that, I don't know. That makes it a little tough too. But um, so, okay. Um, here we are, sixty years since the murders took place. Talk, you know, talk about, um, you know, sixty. I didn't even later. know that when I wrote it. I, I didn't even know it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, you know, that it, that it's been sixty years since that's all happened. But at the same time, you know, it's not like it's recent. But it, you know, it's one of those things that's feels so far in the past that we that like you said that a lot of people don't know about it it's a really weird balance there it's kind of like it's it's american history at this point hell you can put it in a u.s history book and it would fit in there just the same as bonnie and clyde just more morbid Um, but yeah kind of kind of paint paint a quick picture of the whole thing and kind of where we're at today as far as it goes i mean is the story concrete that Carol and Fugate and Starkweather were both murderers, or is there going to be mystery surrounding the whole thing forever? Well, I think the mysteries that exist uh, with this case, and there will be mysteries, but the whole thing with um, Starkweather and him attributing some of the... Um, killings to to Fugate. I think that's something we're not going to know. And Carol Ann Fugate, I think she lives in um, Michigan. Stryker, Ohio, or Michigan, yeah. Yeah. And um, I I don't think we're going to know exactly what happened. I mean, uh, when they shot the man beside the road, uh, 
Charlie shot him twice through the, the glass, and then he got shot seven more times. He asked Stark whether it was Carol Ann that shot him seven more times. And then later he told the FBI that she was the trigger happiest girl he'd ever met. There's also some indication in the Lauer house there were two murders that were committed by her. Possibly. The maid and the mother, I think? Uh, Clara Ward and um, her maid, Linda Finkel. Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think there's enough evidence. I mean, Carol Ann held a shotgun on uh, Robert Jensen and Carol King when he took them down to the cellar and, and shot them. Uh, she was not innocent. She was an accomplice. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting to hear all the perspectives on it, because I think that's what's important about this story, because if you only get one perspective, you're not getting the whole story. And I feel like that's kind of what we did over the last few weeks, is we tried to to give the whole story, and I thought that was important. But I think it's plug time, so if you want to go ahead and start uh, throwing out where people can pick up Chasing Starkweather, and some of your other works, too. I know... uh, Starkweather is probably your most popular, but there's some other things out there that people need to take a look at, too. Okay, well, um, my first novel was called Wipers, uh, A Soldier's Tale from the Great War, and it's been my bestseller. And it's about a British uh, coal miner who uh, goes to uh, France to fight the Germans in World War I, uh, 1914 to 1918. Uh, the second one uh, I wrote was called The Bonus, Veterans March on Washington, D.C. And uh, it's about, uh, it takes place during the Great Depression, and uh, veterans coming to Washington to want uh, back payment for uh, salaries they lost while fighting overseas. I wrote Starkweather, and then I wrote a, a fourth one, it was sort of aimed at uh, my hometown of Parkersburg, West Virginia, called Silver Shot. It's about a uh, a serial sniper on the loose, and it also happens to be my first fully fictional novel. Everything else has been based on facts. You can get all four of those on um, those four are all available on um, Amazon, um, either in Kindle or paperback easy enough well jeff i I really appreciate you helping us come in and uh come in for the second week of uh you know two weeks of stark weather it was was really awesome and again i just want to thank you so much for the book i really love chasing stark weather i i will continue to plug it because i think it's great and i think it's definitely worth reading for people who just don't want you know the same old true crime book this has you know more of a story to it than most you'll get well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Absolutely, Jeff. If there's anything else you want to throw out, feel free. If not, then we'll definitely talk to you down the line on one of those other books. How's that sound? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be glad to talk with you all anytime. All right, bud. Well, you take care, Jeff. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, you take care. Thank you. All right, later on, bud. 
And that was everybody that was uh, Jeff Simmons, uh, writer, author of uh, Chasing Starkweather. I'm telling you guys, I was surprised at how good of a book it was because there's been so many things written on Starkweather. Um, it was refreshing to kind of read a uh, just a story on the time, basically. And that's the best way I can explain it, uh, combined with just the facts, ma'am. You know what I mean? It was, it was good stuff. But... That being said, Vic has come back to life. He's like a fucking vampire. What's up, man? What the fuck is up, people? How we doing? I thought you died. I thought you died for sure. Why would you think that? Uh, you do die every once in a while. Is that not true? I do, but I was busy tonight. I was. I had a couple margaritas, so my time time ran over a little bit. But yeah, I am. Did you see the glass of wine I've been drinking? I did see that. I did see that. So I got a little story but, for you before we uh, get into your story for the weekend. Can I tell you that uh, those Bravos had 99% margaritas tonight? Can I tell you that? That's amazing. And I'm jealous. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And you hear a lot of like background noise because I'm driving through rain and sleet. Maybe a little snow mixed in. So. Oh, fuck. Has it hit already? God damn it. I mean, but I, I'm in Evansville, so it's going to hit Louisville around 10, 30, or 11, I guess. Well, I'm not in Evansville anymore. I'm, like, somewhere in between. Did you did but, you meet up with our second favorite Blake? I, I met up with my first favorite Blake, but she might be your second favorite Blake. Yeah, she's moved to second in the line for me. That sucks. Well, she moved back to my <laughs> number one tonight. If she comes around me again, then maybe she'll move up to number one. But for now, she's number two. She's got I understand. My kids again. I understand. She'll be back around eventually, I hope. That's good. Well, okay, so here's the little story before we get into uh, the weekend and things like that. First of all, again, I want to thank Jeff Simmons for coming on, and I want to thank Jeff MacArthur for coming on, because two weeks of stark weather kicked ass. You know, we haven't done a lot of repeat episodes on, on murders. We've done... Two on Starved Rock murders, two on Ted Bundy, or three on Ted Bundy, right? Yeah, we've done like 10 on Bundy. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it would have technically been four if we hadn't died that one podcast. Yeah, we, we, we got kicked, kicked off, off there, there that one time. Yep. And then, um, uh, let's see, Starved Rock, Bundy, the Starkweather twice. Can you think of any others that we actually did more than one on? Uh, did we do two on Dahmer? Did you say Dahmer? Yes, they were far apart. You're right. Yeah, we did it. I thought we did two on Dahmer. Because I felt pleased yeah, there one of them. We did Dahmer from the, the Walsh, Adam Walsh perspective, and then we did the Dahmer from the, you know, let's tell the story of Dahmer perspective with John Borowski. But, you know, this was yeah. fun. Uh, and this was cool because we got to tell the story of Carol Ann Fugate and Charles Starkweather and just kind of speculate a little bit on what happened. I know most people have their minds made up about what happened, but maybe it's not cut and dry. I'm not saying she did or didn't do it. I'm just saying it's possible that she didn't. I'm not 100% convinced either way, but there are a hell of a lot of questions for each side. So we'll leave it at that. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. You saw the large glass of wine I was drinking. I was very classy tonight. I had a rosé, you know, had spaghetti for dinner. Uh, (laughs) I got up early today because I had to go to an ultrasound. And uh, also, uh, you know, I had a nice dinner and uh, put the girls to bed early because they didn't have naps today. I mean, Isla doesn't take a nap at all anymore, and, and Hazel just fights all of them. She just refuses. So uh, I put them I put them to bed a little bit early, you know, like 730-ish. 
and I read them their story. And, you know, Isla snuggles up with me, and next thing I know, it's like 8.30. Because I passed out. <laughs> Thank you. For all the drinking, I passed out, and I woke up. I was like, what the fuck? I, I thought I, like, you know, you know how you black out and lose time? That's what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. I was like, I'm going to go to the podcast almost didn't happen. Yeah. I had to wake myself up and get my shit together and uh, composed so I could actually do this podcast. And I'm glad I did. But, uh, yes, so I'm still working on this big-ass glass of wine because it's kicking my ass a lot more than I expected. It's really, like, not very dry, which means it's e- it's easy to go down, but it's very sweet. So, yeah. Um, but it's also very strong. I mean, you don't notice it's strong until it hits you. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So, usually, whenever I talk to you, it's Hold on. You're like, sorry, what's up? I was going to say, usually when we talk about horror adventures, usually it's the movies that I've watched. Uh, but this week, we're going to talk about uh, where your horror adventures have taken you. And this is very important, because your horror adventures actually physically took you somewhere. So uh, they did. I can't wait they to did. hear the stories of it. My, my, uh, my horror adventures actually took me to Atlanta, Georgia this weekend for my first uh, Days of the Dead and uh, the Peak Chase, which was awesome. But... Even more so than just going to Days of the Dead in Atlanta, I stayed in the host hotel, which was the most amazing experience ever, I think. Um, I'm just from the get-go. We walk in, and my hotel room is like, like, I walk out on the balcony in my hotel room, and it goes right over to the inside indoor pool with, uh, it's got fucking uh, pine, or not pine trees, but palm trees and shit. Like, I feel like I'm walking out onto the damn beach. And it was amazing. Hold on, I got my shirt going the right way. <laughs> okay, cool. Sorry, I didn't want to end up back going back to Evansville because that was fucked. But anyway, so I like that's from the get go. That's awesome. So, but I get there and, you know, I'm still not hearing from my ticket hookup. I'm, so I'm getting a little worried I'm about to have to pay $70 to get into this bitch all weekend. And then I text some random number that uh, my hookup gave me, like, why I'm supposed to go to Chicago. And he's like, oh, I told him last night that I didn't have any more cops. So I'm like, well, that fucking sucks. <laughs> but he's like, are you, yeah, he's like, are you here? I'm like, yeah, I'm staying at the hotel. hotel, hotel. Uh, I'm like, I'm up in my room right now. He's like, what room? I tell him whatever. He's like, all right, let me see if I can find anything since you're already here. I'll fix this fuck up again which I'm amused by. <laughs> so, so, like, you know, I'm feeling it. I'm talking to Corey. I'm like, dude, we're about to have to pay to get in. But fuck it, we're already here. We're on vacation. What the fuck's another $70, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, like about five minutes goes by, and I get a knock on the door. And so I go open it, and he's like, Vic? I'm like, yeah. He's like, here you go. Give me two, br- two wristbands and walk away. I get some fucking mafia shit. And I look at Corey, I'm like, that was motherfucking Ed Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody who doesn't know, Eddie Gonzalez was a Ohio wrestler, uh, maybe not a well-known one, but his wife has big kids. Yes, and his wife is a big horror fanatic, and like he does a uh, he does a hot or a, a horror podcast, or I think it's like a horror slash wrestling podcast they do for on the Days of the Dead uh, podcast network or whatever it is. So, I don't know if you knew that or not, but there's a little tidbit for you. 
I did actually, but, but I'd forgotten because I didn't care. Yeah, I've I've never listened to it, so I can't vouch for it. But his, his wife has awesome tattoos, and that's all that really matters. Also, he was excited about our four loco that one time when he was drunk at uh, uh, EPW or whatever, or Wolfpack or whatever. EPW, it was. EPW, yeah, no, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was EPW, right? Evolution Pro. Yeah. yeah. He was excited we snuck in there with him. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting night. It was. You were the ring announcer for people that don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's so funny. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. And did not say a damn word either. Yep. But anyway, so like that, that all gets squared away. So we're good. We. He's like, I think this is probably one of the best lineups that I've met at a convention. Like, you had people from the new it. You had people from the old it. You had a bunch of first-time guests. Like, everybody from uh, from Jason Takes Manhattan that was there was first-timers except for obviously Kane. Now, I think B.C. Dupree sound like one or two, but nothing major. But the two chicks were both brand new to this, so that was awesome. They were awesome. Uh, Fucking let, dude, let me first I think, say also, your favorite conventions are Days of the Dead, correct? I've always yes, yes. Yeah, but Days, yes, of, the Days Dead, of the Dead are by far my favorite convention. I can't there's mean, more to do at Days of the Dead than there is Scarefest. The only thing I ever like about Scarefest, other than the uh, guests, <laughs> are like, you know, when they have things like Christine or, or the riding a cat. Yeah, they, yeah um, they Scarefest does more of that stuff, and that stuff's cool. Uh, Days of the Dead does more. It's more about, like, uh, their, their tagline is where the dead comes to party. So, I mean, like, they do all, they have all the fucking big-ass parties, and they have concerts and other shit that normally we don't get to do because we're not there all weekend. We don't stay in the host hotel, yada, 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 which I'll, I'll get more into that later. But, yeah, Days of the Dead is my favorite convention. I've been to every one of them now. I won't, obviously, I won't get to Charlotte this year for other personal reasons, you know, like Deathmatch Wrestling, because that's more important in life. But, well, I mean, it's not been, important I mean, if it were local. Yes, I mean, if, but if it was local, then I could do the well, convention during the day and the Deathmatch at night. Yeah, we can't be like in fucking state whenever we have a team of death matches going on. And that would be big for me because I'll be, like, craving death match tournament. Yeah, that'd be like your first show in probably, like, a year or something. I'd like to go to Prince, but I don't have any guarantees. March is going to be busy for me. Oh, yeah. At least Prince is only one day, so it might be feasible. Let's see if I can take the boys. We'll see. Yeah, there you go. They like a little death match wrestling in them. No, especially Tom, oh, yeah, right. for sure. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. He he loves it. That, that, that's more of an E-guy, but, you know, I think he enjoys it a little bit. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, man, like, this this lineup, man, I I dropped damn near 400 bucks on guests, and I didn't, none of them were duplicates for me, which tells you how diverse and awesome the lineup was. Um, like I said, you had... He had the black kid and the fat kid from the new it and the old it, which I thought was funny. Like, nobody else for me did it, just the fat kid and the black kid. But I think, I think, my favorite guest of the weekend was Marlon, who was the black kid from the original it. Like, he was awesome. Like, 
He was amazing. He's even got a red balloon tattoo behind his ear, so we were matching. We were checking out our matching tattoos. Nice. But right, anyway, like that dude was fucking awesome. Um, BC Dupree, he was awesome. I mean, I can't forget uh, Meg Foster, who was amazing, and she cried to me for like 15 minutes about Roddy Piper. Because she, she, had, she had to look at all my autographs, and then she saw Piper's autographs, and she's like, oh, my God, you got him. I'm like, yeah, I got him, like, three or four years ago, whatever. And he, he, like, and then she starts telling me how great of a guy he was and how much he meant to her, and she wouldn't be active if it wasn't for Piper. And she didn't like wrestling until she met Piper, and then... She she went home and told her son that hey I'm doing a movie with Roddy Piper and and like then her son like tackled her and body slammed her or something because he was so happy about it like legit she talked to me and Corey for probably 15 20 minutes and cried about half of it and like she was amazing it was awesome I know you met her before I didn't meet her at that time there's a picture of her. Uh, on my Facebook, giving me a kiss, and, like, she was, she was in love with me, and I was, she was awesome. Yeah, she was super um, awesome whenever we, I, see, I met her at Nashville at Full Moon Tattoo and Horror Convention. She was awesome then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, she, she genuinely, genuinely, uh, genuinely, is that right? Yeah. Seems like she really loves the fans, and, like, like I think, honestly, she would she would go to conventions and do it for free, really, if uh, her agent would let her. Like, she didn't even, she didn't know what the prices were at first, though, and she didn't even care. Like, she had to ask somebody, like, because I have my own item, she had to ask somebody how much to charge her. She didn't care about the money. It was awesome. Um, yeah. I, I, I got a Karate Kid poster sign, because, I mean, yeah, Karate Kid's not horror, but it's Karate Kid, so fuck y'all. Uh, I met Danielson, which was amazing. He he wouldn't shake my hand. He gave me a fist bump because his uh, wife is a nurse. And she said, you're going to a convention with all them people. Don't touch people. So <laughs> he was giving fist bumps to everybody, which is whatever. His, you know, his, his wife, because it was his first convention ever, I believe. So his wife was like, don't touch people. So he had to listen to the wife. But... Uh, I do want to say uh, Martin Cove is still the worst guest I've ever met. Um, <laughs> this time, it's like the entire time I've seen him, he was on the phone with his agent trying to get a movie book. Like, that's fine, dude. Get, get paid, but fuck you, bro. Like, like I, I'm so psyched. You know what I'm saying? I was so done with him, dude. Like, he was on the phone. Like, I walked over there and he was on the phone. Like, and this is as I'm getting the end guest. So I go, after I get the guest, I go around to Danielson, and I get him, and then I come back around to uh, fucking uh, Johnny. I get him, who was cool as fuck. And I think he was cool the first time. I think uh, I was just turned off by Martin Cole because he's a dickhead. And then, like, I, I get to him, and this dude's on the phone the entire time, and, like, like bitch, why you charge 30 bucks? You're a bum. For real, for real. <laughs> No, he was, I think he was only 25. He knew he was above. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, man, I mean, every guest I met was awesome. I, I mean, uh, the night, whatever, was pissed off, and I was confused because uh, 
uh, Jeremy Taylor, the uh, band from the it, his line was so big that, like, nobody was trying, nobody could get to her table. But nobody went to her table after they uh, moved his line, so it wasn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is what it is, man. Maybe that's why uh, fucking Linda Blair don't like her. He knows Linda Blair's a cunt, too, so what do I know? Yes, she is. But, going yeah, at it. To, to make my life even better, dude, all my autographs were done on Friday night, except for Shawn Michaels. Every single one of them. So, my Saturday was spent in Shawn Michaels' line getting autographs, and then Shawn Michaels' line for a photo op, which is maybe like 30 minutes like combined after everything all said and done or whatever. And the rest of the day was just walking around and doing whatever, and you know, just enjoying fucking life at a horror convention with no rushes, no nothing. The only thing that sucked is the uh, hotel's Wi-Fi was the most horrible thing I've ever encountered. Uh, we finding finding food was definitely impossible outside of the restaurant hotels because, like, every, we kept trying to order pizza and everywhere was like, ah, oh, due to high volume, we're not delivering pizza today. Like, how are you not delivering pizza? What the fuck? Yeah, I'm assuming because the fucking, like, I'm assuming it's because of the convention crowd, everybody's trying to order pizza, they're just like, fuck you, we're not delivering. <laughs> so, That's stupid. Seems like you're, like, yeah. you're, like, killing your own business. Do what? Why would you kill your own business? Exactly, dude. Like, it was so fucking weird, man. Like, I mean, I'm talking not even, like, just local places, like, fucking Pizza Hut and shit. Like, Pizza Hut wouldn't deliver because they were so busy. Like, it was fucking crazy. So, you know, somehow, even though we ate pizza almost every day because, like, the, one of the restaurants there had and whatever, like, I still lost weight every day because I couldn't eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking weird, man. Yeah, it was annoying. But other than that, man, like, there... Oh, we went to the, uh, uh, the fucking after hours, uh, not the VIP party, but the one after that, like the the concert with the casket creatures. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I, I'm not a big death metal fan, but they were actually pretty good, and I enjoyed it. And there was a bunch of like hot, half naked drunk chicks roaming around, which is always a good thing. I always enjoy that part of life. Um, I I got second place in large black and gray uh, tattoo, so that was cool. I saw that. Yeah, you didn't that, even that tell me cool. that. I don't think I just saw that picture. Now, I, yeah, like, oh. I just posted it. Yeah, that, that was cool. I lost to a a chick with uh, tattoos all over her titties, and you know, tits even went over anything else. Can't win That's that. Cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would have voted for her too. To be honest. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie about it. You know what I'm saying? I would have voted for her too. Um, and then like on Sunday, man, you know, we go down there early or whatever. We're, I don't plan on staying long, but as I'm walking around, I realize that I really hadn't bought anything from any vendors. So you know, I, I check a few things out and I see what's populating, and I, I get a few like actual day of the day. Or Days of the Dead stuff. I got a flask and a Days of the Dead shirt. Or Atlanta shirt. And I think I'm going to start getting one for every city. I don't know why I've never done that before. 
I'm going to start getting the Days of the Dead, Louisville, you know, whatever, shirt. Uh, I also got another free uh, Days of the Dead tattoo uh, shirt. This one's an Atlanta shirt. I already got a Louisville one last year. So well, yeah, man, I mean, it, it was a great time, dude. Um, all the all the guests I've ever offered, except for Martin Cove. Uh, and I'll never have to meet him again because I had no reason to. Oh, that, that, that's good. Right? I had no reason yeah. at all to ever do again. Um, Stop your uh, radar forever. Yeah, exactly. I thought he was, and then they had to fucking bring uh, Danielson in. And, you know, you got you got to get them all three. If you know Ralph, if Ralph Macchio is gonna be there, right? Exactly. You yeah, know what I mean? I, I, I mean, a part of me wishes I had done it, but I was my horror poster completely. I keep my posters strictly to horror because, I mean, shit, I only have so much room. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I understand. Oh, I, I didn't meet Alex Vincent. Like, that was a last-second decision for me. And I'm actually pretty glad I did, man. He was pretty cool. I wasn't going to pay for a picture with him because, I mean, he's a bum, but like, he was pretty cool. He actually had a uh, screen-used uh, Chucky doll with him, which is cool. Somebody asked me, hey, uh, are, you, are you selling that? And he said, yeah. Fifty thousand dollars insurance. They they yeah. didn't buy it. <laughs> but I mean, it was I, cool. I, he, Chuck, I was talking about the Do what? The murder billion. Murder billion. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's this guy. He he had it all set up like, and I got his card because I'm gonna check more into it. But he had like letters and shit. Like he had a letter written from a. Uh, Richard Ramirez for like $135, which I wouldn't go pay that, obviously. But just the fact that, I mean, he had it, like, it was his handwriting. It was like, as far as I could tell, it was the original letter from Richard Ramirez. He had, like, goat schools from whoever the fuck. And, like, like old pictures of people I assume that they got from their house and shit. Like, it, it, it reminded me of, like, some stuff that uh, William Harder probably has in his house. <laughs> you know he does. I mean, prob- he probably, like probably not yeah. as extensive as uh, William Hardis because I'm pretty sure he has like a whole murder museum in his house. But I mean, it, it was probably the coolest uh, vendor that I've seen set up in a long time. Probably since that guy that made the stools. And I, oh, when I was, I, I couldn't afford none of it, or I didn't want to afford. It. I could, but I didn't want to because yeah. I didn't want to spend 135 dollars on a. Know thirty year old piece of paper that Richard Ramirez wrote a note on, because I don't think that's gonna be like I, I I don't know what to do with that. I mean frame it and put it on my wall, but no, I got posters to put on my wall. <laughs> well, see, I, I I would be interested in buying something like that if it were nicely framed in a shadow box or something. But yeah, only yeah. You know what I'm saying I would pay extra for that. I would pay the price that he's offering, but not just for the letter. Exactly, like it would have had to come with like a nice fucking thing, but obviously it wasn't. It might have been in like you know, like eight by ten sleeve or something. I'm highly fascinated with murderabilia. I just haven't crossed the line yet. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I, the only thing I really truly want is paintings from like a Gacy painting or you know what I'm saying? Dude, I want a pogo bat. Yeah, like I, I would love to have that. I don't really care about. I mean, I care about those stuff, but I don't want. It. I, I would take uh, Ted Bundy's murder bag. That'd be cool. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or, like, I, if, I I could own, if I could own his car, I would take it. <laughs> Hell, yeah. 
Okay, so uh, I got to get into. Speaking of horror conventions, I will tell you, I think I'm going to hate with a passion horror hound Cincy. It's going to be terrible. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I'm going to sit here and count Walking Dead yes, okay? One. No, don't do that. I have to. One. uh, Let's see here. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven fucking Walking Dead yes. Yeah, yeah. That's why we don't Eight. go to Cincinnati on Saturdays unless we absolutely have to, like we did last year, because whole mail was only there on Saturday. I'm debating about whether I want to meet the dude from Happy Death Day. I really like that movie. I do. I mean, like, I don't know. I might get a Happy Death Day poster. Joe Ross well, might have a Happy Death Day poster. Yeah, who knows? We'll figure it out. Um, they got a bunch of people from Guardians of the Galaxy, too. I'm like, I love that movie, but I don't know that I'm going to get a poster, because what is it not? Not horror. Oh, it's not horror. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Exactly. So I can't go down that route. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of decent guests, but the only one that I absolutely have to meet is Brad Dorff. But I want to meet Jennifer Carpenter also from Dexter. Um, Yeah, yeah. I need need everybody from South Lake, because I already started a poster. (laughs) <laughs> I think I just get an eight by ten from Jennifer Carpenter. Yeah. Just because I really like her most. First time I ever saw her was the Exorcism of Emily Rose, and then I saw her in Quarantine, and then I saw her in Dexter. So I didn't know her originally from Dexter, but I think she's really good at Dexter. And there's some other Dexter yeah. people too. I'd get a Dexter mini if he was actually there, but he's not. So I'm not gonna like get all bunch of side characters. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you have to do, I and mean, then hope and pray that eventually you get that one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know what you mean. But DDP's going to be there. i got to get my Devil's Rejects poster. Yes, DDP is going to be there. Like, I don't know what I want to do with Devil's Rejects. Because my, my fucking table poster is pretty much destroyed. Because, you know, yeah, I was new to the game at that point. Got a lot of autographs well, on it. Forgive but, our nerdiness, listeners, but i, I got to ask you. So, Nick, you talked about getting one child's play poster and just doing it on that. So, you've got yeah. Alex Vincent. You don't have to worry about him. You're going to get Christine Elise, child's play too, and Colton Chucky? Yep, I am. Tom Holland? Yep. He's the director, right? Yep. I'm going yep. to bring... I'm going to have to bring a Halloween two poster for him, because he's one that doesn't do many conventions. He's <laughs> Yeah. Is, is he, did he direct that? Did he direct that? No, what he, he was. was he he's here? one of the dudes. He was supposed to be, he was her Uncle Bob, remember? Ah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got to have you hatchet face. face. He's like, come on, you hatchet <laughs> face, son of a bitch. Yeah, okay, I got you, I got you. <laughs> Did he just get so, yeah, every, everybody there, everybody there from any of Child's Play, they're all going on my one Child's Play poster. Are you getting to be on the doors on it, too? And you haven't even yeah. seen the person, Colt, have you? I haven't, but she's still going on it. She needs to go somewhere else. Yeah. Because, like, I figured <laughs> I got a... I got a uh, dude from, uh, like, Saul 6 or whatever, Castanino or whatever the fuck his name was. On my law post, and I, I haven't seen his movie yet, so it's okay. <laughs> you know what's well, what the movie? Is Castellando or something? Constance Mandalore? Yeah, that that fella. Anyway, what did you say? 
you know what's offensive to me? What's that? So I'm looking at Michael Rooker's credits on the, the, the Walking the Horror Hounds website. It's got The yeah. Walking Dead, Guardians of the Galaxy, Mall Rats, Tombstone, Super, and JFK. You know what's not listed, and this should be the first thing that they listed for, because it's the one that he was first known for? Boondock Saint? Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, dude, I almost bought, I almost bought a poster for that while I was in uh, Atlanta. That's a fucking... That's a fucking awesome movie. I think that's the thing that I would meet him for if I were going to meet him. Yeah, I may mean, actually still get a poster and have him sign it. Yeah, well, I, I don't know anything. Not when there's all walking bags there. There's no way. Yeah, I, I, don't feel, I don't feel like paying him 40 bucks either. Well, I bet you he wants more than that now. He was in Guardians yeah. 2, man. That's a Marvel yeah. movie. Yeah. He's probably like 80 bucks. He might be. I don't know, man. That's fucking uh, Norman Reedus' brother. Yeah, well, he was Reedus' brother on the show, so. Yeah. Speaking of, Reedus hasn't been around lately, and I, I kind of, I'm kind of happy about it. That's because he's too big of a star. He's probably playing big time right now. Oh, uh, he big, big time and everybody now. Yeah, like he's got his own movies and shit. Yeah, he's a bum. Yep. So since we got into where our horror pictures. Focus. You know, Vic, i got to talk about what I've seen. I watched two movies I haven't seen yet. I watched new movies, so check that out. That's impressive. All right, so Friday I went to uh, Cinemark, and I saw Winchester, which was... Um, Vic, do you remember seeing the previews of Winchester? I, yeah, we saw them at the, we saw them before some movie, right? Uh, Happy Death Day, maybe? Right, but it doesn't tell you very much about what the movie is actually about. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it doesn't describe it very well. So I'm going to read the tag, or, you know, the, the quick plot information for you. It says, Eccentric firearm Harris believes she is haunted by the souls of people killed by the Winchester repeating rifle. And that much is true. That's what the movie's about. This woman, who is like Sarah Winchester, believes that her, that she specifically is haunted by the souls of people that were killed by the Winchester rifle. Because that's her family's, you know, legacy. So she's got all these rooms, basically, to trap these ghosts in. It's kind of like 13 ghosts in that way. And it's decent. Um, you can tell it's uh, made by the same people, like, not the same writer, the same producers who did Insidious and The Conjuring and all that. Yeah. Same studio. It wasn't bad. I mean, I, it was slow, though. I'd probably give it two and a half out of four. I mean, you know, for free with movie pass, it's definitely worth seeing. It's not a movie you need to go ever spend money on, though. <laughs> it's a ghost story. Well, you know what I mean? Ghost stories are hit and miss. And this was somewhere in the middle. And then, um, Dick, I don't know if you saw this, but during the Super Bowl, they announced that uh, immediately after the Super Bowl, Cloverfield Paradox was going to hit on Netflix. Did you see yeah, that? I saw, I saw it came, yeah, I saw it came out. So, um, I didn't get to watch it right after the Super Bowl, but I did watch it last night. And uh, it starts off really fucking good um, because it's the third movie in the Cloverfield series. And, like, every one of them are told from a different perspective. And this one's told from a space station, okay? That's kind of looking down on them. And uh, it was really good. It kind of lost steam at the end. Um, so it didn't finish as well as it started, but it, it was a decent movie, and it's definitely sci-fi more than anything. But uh, 
saw people complaining online saying that they're like making movies and then the Cloverfield people are buying it and like shoehorning Cloverfield into it. <laughs> That's what I thought about uh, I heard, the Hellraiser movie. Yeah, no doubt. I heard that it is not uh it's not fucking first person, so that, that's a good time. No, it's not at all. But then again, neither was Clover, uh, 10 Cloverfield. Yeah. So, I mean, this was its own deal. I mean, like I said, it was sci-fi, but it wasn't the best of sci-fi. Again, I would go two and a half on this one, too. It started out really good. It could have been three, maybe three and a half if it continued, but, like, towards the end, again, I just lost interest because, I don't know, man. It just it got kind of confusing for me. I mean, I got most of it, but at the same time, I was like, this is weird science shit. <laughs> and that's all I could say. I, I, did, I forgot to tell you, you know, on Saturday night, which I, I didn't get to do any of this because, you know, I was too busy uh, partying with Kane Hodder and things. Yes, I'm dropping names like that. But, um, and Joe Robinson. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I can vouch for him. He is not gay. I hope he's not listening because I don't, I don't I don't want him to think that we thought he was, but he was oh, like a bad he was with the bad bitch from Saturday night. So we I thought you were a little a little bit funny. We weren't for sure. It's no offense intended, I promise. Yeah, like like a, he was with a baddie baddie, man. I was like, Troy, you gotta vouch for me that Joe Robinson is not gay. <laughs> he was with a baddie, man. I was I was shocked. But anyway, so uh, yeah, you know, I was I was rubbing elbows with the stars on Saturday night. So I couldn't really go to this, but they had like a, a they they screened three movies, right? At eight o'clock they screen Scream, which is amazing. And then at at uh, ten o'clock there was like a mystery screening, or whatever, back to back like eighties uh, mystery screening. But but the guy already told me what it was, so I wish I would have went. But you know, things happen and whatever. But at ten o'clock it was Swamp Thing. And midnight, it was they live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah, I wish I could have made it, but you know, things happen. You know, rubbing elbows with the stars, and you know, checking out all the half-naked drunk broads. You know, important things like that. Time not to get a Me Too case and all that shit. Yeah, you got to be careful about that shit. But at least you're not in your own city. Then you can just be some yeah. dude who's crazy. Yeah, but yeah, man, like, that, that was pretty good. I wish I could have uh, checked out all three of those, but, you know, like I said, things happen. But anyway, we sorry. Made, uh, we made plans for uh, a horror convention this summer today, didn't we, Vic? And we're going to go to I a thing that I've never been to. I think we did. I think we did, man. We, uh, one in Kansas City called Crypticon. I've heard about it. I've heard good things yeah. about it. Oh. Uh, Oh, girl, uh, Sarah Church uh, talks about it all the time. I mean, I don't know if she talks because I can't really understand her, but oh, she types about it. <laughs> but she types about it all the time. And, uh, I don't want to say anything about her. I'm just yeah, kidding. I love Sarah Church. She, like, she's always, every time we've uh, had interaction, she's been awesome to me. Like, uh, when she saw Cincinnati, she texts me or messaged me later. It's like, I saw you today. Well, Vic, you didn't say that. What was she going to say, Vic? Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, it, was your, it was your fault. You brought it up. It is my fault. 
But you probably heard of it, not me. I, I did. But what's the other convention that we're going to go to that you've never been to? Uh, am I being stupid? What, what am I missing? I don't know. You say you're going to see you've never been to, and I'm confused. No, no, it's just that one. I was going to tell you. No, we've never been to KC is what I was saying. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, never KC. I think we should get barbecue while we're there. I don't know where, and it doesn't matter. Is barbecue a KC thing? I thought that was a Memphis Yeah, thing. I think so. Like, they claim to, like, like be good at barbecue, so I figure, you know, we'll go find some fucking barbecue that's supposed to be good there. Uh, you know, uh, that means I'll be going to Kansas City twice this year. I know, because you're going to go to a Niners game. It's too bad you don't get to see Alex Smith. That's fucked up. <laughs> I know. Uh, damn it. I'm a loser. I know you want to be that. He's going to be in the, in Washington while Kirk Cousins is in Denver, right? Yeah, you're probably right. Probably. I mean. If we can afford him. Uh, he's got to be the best option, though, right? What about Nick I mean, Foles? I don't want him either, by the way. I'd say he's going to be available. No, I don't want him either. Yeah, what about... Uh, that, that I don't want anybody. I hate Paul. What was that? The bump from Minnesota. Lamar Jackson. That's who I want. Lamar Jackson. There you go. At least it's not... No way we draft him. That dude can't throw good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. L.A. likes the uh, the big quarterbacks with big arms, but no mobility. But also, thank. Uh, let's um, let's uh, say congratulations to the Eagles and the city of Philadelphia. It's a hellhole. Hopefully, they didn't burn down the five below corporate there. That would suck. But I mean, it's still standing. One of my buddies that lives in the area went. He went Facebook Live the next day to show everybody that. Philadelphia is still standing, and they're all not fucking notorious scumbags like Devin Moore, but I don't believe him. I think he just went to a better part of the city. Yeah. But, I mean, congratulations to the Eagles, man. They they pulled off. They were an underdog the entire fucking playoffs. Even at home, they were still underdogs somehow because nobody had faith in Nick Foles. I didn't Somebody either. was saying, me either. Somebody was saying, though, that uh, because Tom Brady lost the Super Bowl, that, like, he moves behind Joe Montana again. I'm like, dude, he went to eight Super Bowls, even losing three of them. You can't put him well, behind like, anybody. There, there's a guy on ESPN making a case for it, and I like that. Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah, and I listened to it, and I, I mean, obviously I'm going to agree with it because, yeah, but he, he, he lost three. Like, like, nobody ever lost three. Fucking, okay, he went, he went to eight, right? How many finals did no, LeBron no James win? Exactly. Yeah, they talk about how, how many finals is LeBron James been to? Like eight. Yeah, and and he he's won three. And you know what I'm saying? So like, I realize you can't really compare basketball and football and whatever. But LeBron James will never be considered the goat because he lost in the finals. And like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. But I will say, yeah, but he didn't win the finals. I really don't care anymore. Like the conversation's over with me. I'm done with it. But I will say, Joe Montana would have scored on that last draft. I will take that. Yeah, it pisses me off that people are trying to put that on Brady. Come on, that's such. I mean, dude, you can't put it on Brady. I mean, the the fucking Eagles defense fucking like destroyed. 
the defensive line that destroyed the offensive line on that play. You know on that drive. So I know, he, is, he, I know he could have gotten rid of it. I get all of that. I mean, but he didn't have time, and you know, it happens. He didn't. He didn't have much time to get rid of it. They were in his ass. He's the first quarterback to have 500 yards and three touchdowns and not win the fucking game. He did everything in his power to win that fucking game. Oh yeah, back to If you score 33 points, you should win a game. And everybody yeah, like, the Patriots defense is great over the time. Remy Bryant, the Lions should have rescinded that contract to Matt Patricia. I always thought he was fine, and he proved it. He is shit. But, you know, a lot of people said that uh, the 49ers should have uh, went on and gave Shanahan the finger after uh, their collapse last year in the uh, Super Bowl with the offense yeah. not doing anything else. But I'm glad we didn't, so... Oh, I don't know if it's a hand-to-hand thing with you all or if it's Jimmy Garoppolo. I guess we'll find out, won't we? Well, I think it's the fact that Shanahan got a good quarterback. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the important thing. I mean, you guys yeah, didn't even have a borderline good quarterback. Fuck no. We had bottom of the barrel quarterback and a rookie that should be even in the league probably. I just think it's funny, though, that people are making fun of a guy who's 5-3 in the Super Bowl, and nobody's been to eight fucking Super Bowls. That's insane to me. Like, it's just ridiculous. I know people hate him, but Jesus Christ, use some common sense. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, it's because losing, losing, you know what I'm saying? He loses. Are you worse because you lost in the finals, or are you worse because you didn't get there? I mean, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, that's just like, I think it's with LeBron. <laughs> Like, yeah. I, like, I don't put him above Jordan, and it has nothing to do with not with losing in the finals. It's just because he doesn't have a winning record in the finals. That's why I can't put him over Jordan. Which I know, I'm not just killing that either. I'm just talking about who I watched. Jordan was more of a killer, you know, and that was. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. LeBron don't have a killer instinct. I mean, for me, the players that I've watched in my lifetime, Jordan was the number one killer, and Kobe was number two. Now, I don't put Kobe over LeBron. Even though I think Kobe doesn't get enough credit, like I've always compared it like this: Kobe is to Jordan like LeBron is to Magic. You know what I'm saying? They're, yes. That's the type of player they are, and that's fine because I consider Magic the goat, and that's why I prefer LeBron, LeBron over LeBron. anybody else. I, I kind of feel like LeBron's more of a killer than Magic, in most ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is. I'm just talking about like his overall general game. You know what I'm saying? He, he would rather pass than do anything else. Just like Matt. Usually. Usually, yeah. He's yeah, just got the body he, to be able to dominate. Unless he, unless he feels like, hey, I got to take over the game. He's going to have to now. <laughs> That's all there is to it. They got to do something. There's like 50 meat or some bullshit. Yep. So, um, but anyway, uh, I, sorry, I had to get into the Super Bowl discussion because it's been irritating. Yeah, so I guess what's grinding my gears is that people can – like sit there and fucking ditch diss a quarterback who's five and three in the Super Bowl, and it's like, all right, if Michael Phelps had five golds and three silvers, nobody would say shit. I think it's a weird thing when people start talking about losing in the finals. Unless you have a losing record, there's nothing to bag on anybody for. Yep, I mean I agree. Like it's, but you know, if it was if it was Peyton Manning, nobody would say a fucking word. No, I know. Because I know. Because I, nobody you know, gives he was the goat, and he was like one in three or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then people telling me how his defense, he never had a good defense. Who gives a fuck? Man, Who gives like, a fuck? What does the defense have to do with you fumbling the ball and throwing interceptions? 
He's yeah, not being able to pass the field uh, ball downfield in the cold weather. Yeah, I mean, look at his fucking first Super Bowl in Denver, with Denver, dude. Like, that, that loss was all on him. You know what I'm saying? That fucking defense followed his ass up. Yeah, we had the top offense. We had the top offense in league history, by the way. Not just that year. Ever. And we put up nine points. Now, who's fault's that? Yeah, I guess. I mean, regardless, you played a damn good defense, but it wasn't the best defense ever. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. It's just fucking ridiculous. But, okay, so I'll move on from that subject because it fires me up. I think people are just being dumb because they they hate Brady, which is fine. You want to hate Brady and Belichick and all of them? I mean, they deserve the shit that they get. But at the same time, don't try to discredit them. Let's, let's be honest about what they have been and probably will continue to be, at least for another year. It's funny that Josh McDaniels that, turned down that, the that's question. Like, I, I don't know if, like, I don't know who he's going to be in New England next year. They say Belichick's going to be there for one more year at least. So I think Belichick stays one more year, and that's why McDaniels is staying, because he's going to take the job after Belichick. Well, McDaniels, McDaniels took the coach job, didn't he? No, no, he turned it down. He just, like, he said, fuck what? it, a few minutes ago. I just, think cause they, they, said, they said on the radio earlier that the yeah. coach were announcing him. Schefter said it earlier today that he took the job. And if you can look at Cage's post, I, I had seen it before Cage tagged us in this. Well, he tagged me in it. Uh, but, yeah, uh, McDaniels changed his mind and said he didn't want the job. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, I thought you knew this. That's fucking crazy. No, just... uh, uh, like, I haven't, even, I haven't touched my phone because I've been on Blake all night. Yeah. How do you like that? Wow. Holy shit. So that's why I yeah, say okay. that's my that, theory that on the situation. Yeah, I think Belichick coaches one more year, and maybe Brady retires too with Belichick when he leaves, and then McDaniel's takes over. That's why he's decided not to take the coach job. If fucking Brady retires with Belichick, I wouldn't want that job. <laughs> yeah, you know but you know, at least you have a good organization, and wouldn't True. you rather play yeah. for the Patriots even without them than than uh, be with the Colts? Man, I was gonna say uh, Bob Kraft's probably like the best owner out there. With the exception of the Roonies. Yeah, yeah. that was going to be fun, yeah. I mean, them two are, that's why them two are always battling for Super Bowls every year. Broncos used to have some of the best ownership, but our, you know, Pat Boland's got fucking Alzheimer's, and that's just sad. Yeah. I drink all my wine, so I'm a little intoxicated and fuzzy right now. We, 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 have, we have probably the best owner in the 80s, and then, you know, he, like our, his mob connections came out, and he had to, like, give up the theme. You guys had the best owner in history, is what you had. I don't. I mean, not anymore, yeah. but in history, yes, yeah. you did. Yeah, Barlow yeah. was the man. Fuck yeah, I love that dude. But fuck them and fuck that team. Oh, can, <laughs> can I can I can I say congratulations to one of the best receivers of all time, Terrell Owens, for finally getting in the motherfucking Hall of Fame because he's been fucked over way too long. Isn't it goofy that Moss got his first year and Terrell Owens had to wait? Now, granted, I've always told you I thought Moss was better than T.O., but it's kind of goofy to me that they would make one wait and not the other because Moss was just yeah. as big of an issue as him at times. He was. At times. Like, oh, man, T.O. never walked off the field. That's the one thing. Moss walked off the field on his team during the play. Against he the Redskins, I remember it. Yeah, he just walked away. And that, 
Like, T.O. never did that shit, man. Like, nah, but he did goofy I, shit. I think people mostly did. remember what he did with the Eagles. That's the thing right there, the Eagles shit. I mean, the thing that I always remember is the fact that he ran away quarterbacks. He ran away quarterbacks. But his biggest uh, supporter in getting in the Super Bowl or getting in the Hall of Fame was Steve Young. You know what I'm saying? Well, I guess he didn't really run off Steve Young, so I guess it's a different story for him. Yeah, but he, he, he couldn't have ran off Steve Young, though, because there was a big difference in uh, tenure there. You know what I mean? And, and because, you know, Steve Young's the best quarterback he ever played with. But... Yeah, and then McNabb. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I love yes, McNabb, no. so that's another story. But, you know. Um, and I to Randy Moss, too. He, he deserves it. I don't think he's still in the first ballot, but he deserves it have a little announcement about our show that I need to get in before I get so drunk that I forget, you know, because I'm, like I said, I'm a little bit foggy right now, but um, assuming that we do a show next week, because uh, it's all pending on on my baby coming, and when that happens, uh, but I'm going to I'm gonna go forward, like we're doing a show next uh, Tuesday, and if we do do a show next Tuesday, um, it's going to be uh, a new concept that we had, and it comes from the Horror Hedonist, and I know it's a Facebook group, um, it came from them, so I'll give credit where it's due. But we're going to do something special on the podcast. Uh, once a month, we're going to be talking about um, years for horror and what the best movie was in the top ten of those movies. We've done a lot of top ten shows in the past. Let me give you an example. Next week, it's going to be assuming we're on this hair. If not, we'll do it the following week or sometime this month. The show's going to be top ten pre-1974 movies. So any movie that's a horror movie before 1970 qualifies for this top ten. So we're talking, I don't know, Psycho, Peter Tom, uh, The Universal Monsters, any of those, they qualify. So we're going to be putting out a top ten. Vic's going to have an old time because he hasn't watched that many pre-1970s movies. Blake's going to join us, put his list together. Um, so that's the concept. Then the following month, we're going to do 1974 which may be the very hardest one we do because we're talking about an entire decade. But after that, once we hit 1980, it's going to be a, a year for every single year, every single month, until we get to present day. So I guess we're going to have to brush up on our horror um, because there's going to be some years where we got a fucking sparse um, amount of horror. So it's going to be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. But I feel like that 1970s in March that we're doing going to be the hardest one we do. We'll see. But it seems like it's going to be I mean, you're, you're, pr- you're probably right because, like, not only is it a whole decade, but there were some fucking good movies in the 70s, man. And you're, I mean, you're, you're fucking, like, it's so much, it'd be so much easier when you're doing it year by year, but for the entire month or the entire decade of the 70s, and there's such good shit, like, it's going to be awesome. And Expertise. I got, I um, I love uh, list, list shows anyway, and this is going to be a great idea, just like our idea of doing a point bear killer month. But anyway, it takes away from uh, just the, uh, you know, running down movies all the time. Yeah. Well, we like to break the movie. As much as I enjoy it, it does get a little bit boring. So we like to do something to keep our interest in it invested. In the last few weeks of Stark Weather, I've definitely done that for me. Uh, next month, I don't know who our serial killer is going to be, but I'm sure we'll think of something. Uh, it'll be good, and we'll see if we can find a guest. I was happy that I found two guests for Starkweather, and we get the exclusive of it. So who 
knows what's coming in March. Uh, also this month, if somehow we're able to nag a copy of Victor Crowley, we will definitely try to uh, put in Hackett 4 as well. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I've got so many things going on around so I don't want to make a purchase of the movie yet, but I'm very excited about it. Oh, think, okay, so the other movies I watched is um, 24 by 36, of a movie about movie posters. And I already kind of told you about it, but it, it talks about kind of the different eras of, of movie posters, kind of like our, our eras of movies that we're doing in the top 10 list. But, man, movie posters like in the 40s, 50s, 60s, they were so fucking cool. And then they... They were cool in the 70s and 80s, too. But once we hit the 90s, just like I always said with Scream, they went to shit. That's basically what they said to this movie. And now we've got movies like, or movie companies like Mondo who are making alternative movie posters that aren't necessarily like studio movie posters with photographs and stuff with artwork. And it's a hell of a lot better. I showed you that rock before that I thought was the most awesome poster ever. Yeah, like, I don't know. I haven't seen this movie, obviously, but it sounds like it's a movie about us. Yeah. I don't know how to it like that, so I'm not going to, but, you know, it, it's definitely worth watching. I, I saw it on Tribeca Film Festival on Flame, so I enjoyed it, and I'm glad I watched it. But uh, last but not least, before we came on the air, I was catching in a viewing at the annual My Bloody Valentine. Don't worry, they But yeah, if you guys haven't heard our episode on my bloody Valentine, you should go back about what four years ago and, and listen to it. My bloody Valentine, good Canadian boy. My my bloody Valentine is amazing. Amazing. No doubt about that. So, uh, think you got anything else this week? quickly fading, and I wanted to make sure that we got everything in, because it's uh, been a busy week, busy weekend. Man, I, I think I think I hit up everything, man, and uh, oh, I guess uh, anybody that wants to see me, I'll be at Horror Hound next month, and hopefully you're tagging along with us. Oh, I was going to come. I'm taking Oh, Alice. yeah. Yeah, Alice. All righty, so <laughs> we will do Horror Hound. I'll take Alice. Um, so that's what we'll do. Yeah, um, I think, is there two convictions next month, or is there, um, there's only one, right? Oh, I feel like there's something else in March, but maybe that's Prince. Yeah, Prince is, but I think it's Monster Mania, so I think we're good. Oh, yeah, can't go to that one, sadly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, man, we're good, we're good. I wish I could go to Texas uh, Frightmare, because they bring in, like, every guest in the world. Yeah, god damn it. All that all that stuff's upsetting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get so upset when you tell me the guest from Texas Frightmare. I'm like, you motherfucker, why are you showing me this? You know we can't go. Because because they're slowly talking it talking me into it. And if I go, I'm going to put this out there just so you know how crazy I am. I'm going to fly up there on like Saturday morning, do all my shit and fly back on Saturday night. Well, I guess I'll be uh I guess I'll be uh, giving you a poster again, then, if that's the case, if you decide to do yeah. it for some reason. I, I'll be giving you a poster and a bunch of money. The only thing that sucks is I'm going to fucking Jersey, you know, like three weeks later. So, yeah. What am I missing here? What are you going to Jersey for? Turn him in a survival. Turn him in a survival. Okay. Good for you. 
It's too bad it's not the same weekend of Monster Mania. Oh, God, I wish. You don't know how happy I'd be. Let's move to Jersey. Well, I mean, it's in it's in uh, June and Monster Mania is in March, so I don't think it would help. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I could stay for a week and go to Terminal Death, but I don't want to. Good enough reason not to do anything. I don't want to. So, Vic, I've been more active on Twitter. You guys can find me at, at Phenomenal TLD. I'm on, uh, well, I use the uh, the TNV Horror account, too. Not enough, but at Trav, uh, Travis and Vic Horror. And then Vic's on Travis. Twitter. He's on there every once in a while, at Vic, Vic Von Eric. You're not on there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We need to cause some uh, trouble on Twitter again. I'm, try, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get back into my Twitter mode, you know. But I hate Facebook, I, so Twitter I like. Yeah, because I don't have to see what other people talk about on Twitter. Like, I don't even look at my timeline. I just fucking post my own shit. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I only follow people who are worth the shit on there. Everybody else I can just mute. So it's nice. Yeah. And I can ignore politics and stuff. So, and I don't Hell have family yeah. on there. We can say whatever we want. Uh, our yes, website is com. I've updated the archives. I've updated the serial killer links. So, I mean, our website's good to go. You can find all our old episodes, and there is a shit ton. Vic, what are we at, like 180-something? I don't even know. I don't even I have no idea, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, it's a lot. I know where it's a lot. It's, I know where it's a lot. Includes, we should probably start celebrating, includes, like, milestones and shit. I was going to say, if you could include some of our replays of old episodes, I mean, there's a shit ton in there. So, I mean, it's, it's tough to be able to measure it because we've done some where we couldn't do a show, and so we decided to do a replay of an old one, that type of thing. But uh, I can tell you this. Here's what I can tell everybody. We are at episode 169 tonight, so that means that one way or another, there have been 169 weeks of episodes or 169 episodes that are recorded. So, there's that. So, After basically, tonight. what you're saying is when we hit 200 episodes, we got to do like a big-ass fucking celebration for show That'll probably be the one where I die. Yeah! Because I'm going to bring everybody on. We're going to get a bunch of old guests back on and everybody, fucking Bill Moses going to come on and tell us that we're stupid again and it's going to be fucking amazing. He's going to get Thai food. Seems to be like hey. a thing. Uh, so people get Thai food. Hey. I, don't, I don't get it. He could be like, I thought this was a Gunnar Hansen podcast. Why are y'all talking about fucking grocery shopping? like, my bad, bro. My bad, bro. What do you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is uh, degenerating. By the way, I started reading Blake's book this week. It's an easy read. I will tell you that. The chapters are short. It, it feels... And, this is no criticism so much, but you know how Goosebumps books were? I know you probably didn't read them, but they're more geared towards middle schoolers. Like, this yeah. isn't like advanced reading. It's not like a Stephen King book, you know, and it feels like anything else you've read. So there's a lot of horror nods to it, and I think a lot of nods to his own personal life there. But anyway, I mean, not, it's just um, an easy read. So uh, I'll put it at that. So if you haven't read The Within, do so. Help Blake out. Blake will be back hopefully next week if we're back next week, but uh in the meantime, I don't have anything else. Vic, you ready to head out of here? Say everybody. Uh, hold, on, out. hold on. I got one more thing. Yeah. If anybody wants to buy a copy of The Evil Within, or The Within, The Evil Within, whatever it is, I have a copy <laughs> for sale for $2,000. <laughs> Good 
two grand in it, sure. It's autographed and everything. It is. It has even a message. <laughs> so it'll be like Marvel yeah. after Blake snaps and kills everybody. So, yeah, or, or just snaps and kills me, whatever. Yeah, I don't think he's, like, motivated <laughs> enough to find you, so he probably kills wife instead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Horrible. That's horrible. Right. I like Lisa. Hey, but I, I, also want I want to thank everybody one last time for the Carol Foot Fan Fugate show. 282 listens and like 34 downloads already. That's fucking awesome. You guys are awesome. And we'll continue to spread spread the word of two weeks of Stark Weather. We'll talk to you guys next week, hopefully. Later on, y'all. Alright, later. Peace. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.